Well, uh, let's turn to Revelation 15 and let's, uh, let's pray together once more. Father, as we come to the preaching of your word, we ask for you to work. Lord, I ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, that I might speak the very utterances of God, that what I say would be edifying, worshipful, helpful, encouraging, truthful. Lord, I pray for those who are hearing the preaching of your word, for my brothers and sisters, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, that he would open their eyes to see wonderful things in your word, and Lord, that you would lead each of us to worship you through our time in your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, in the book of Revelation, Jesus gives his churches, through the Apostle John, a series of symbolic visions, and these visions portray different aspects of God's sovereign plan of judgment and redemption, which all lead up to the return of Christ, when he will finally judge evil, establish the kingdom of God in its fullness, and usher his people into a new creation. We've seen throughout Revelation visions about the work of Christ at the cross. Uh, we've seen visions about what life is like between Jesus' ascension and his return. And we've seen visions about the future and what the end of the age will look like. And among these visions uh, are three very obvious series of sevens. Uh, we've seen a couple of them already. Chapters 4 through 8, there were seven seal judgments. In chapters 8 through 11, there were seven trumpet judgments. And today, we come to the third of these sevens, the bowl judgments. And uh, we're actually going to look at two chapters, uh, Revelation 15 and 16 today. But for now, I just want us to read Revelation 15. And since these words are breathed out by God and come with the very authority of Jesus Christ himself, if you're able, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Revelation chapter 15, the Holy Spirit says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. 
After this, I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened, and out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. The grass withers, flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. We serve an amazing God. We serve an amazing God. And when we see who God is, when we see his attributes put on display, that stirs our hearts up toward worship of this God. When we look at creation and we see the beauty of God's design, it leads us to worship the brilliant creator for what he has made. When we look to the cross and we see the extravagant love of Jesus poured out on undeserving sinners, it stirs our heart up to worship this God of grace and mercy. When we look at our lives and we see how God has providentially orchestrated the circumstances of our lives for His glory and for our good, It leads us to worship the sovereign Lord who controls all things. We see these attributes of God and we can't help but worship this amazing God. But what about God's wrath? What about that attribute of God? When you think about God's wrath, does it make you want to worship? Or is it one of those attributes of God that you feel like you have to apologize for? What we see in Revelation 15 and 16 is that God's wrath is not a necessary evil. In fact, it is not evil at all. God's wrath is good and God's wrath is right. In fact, God's wrath is praiseworthy. Revelation chapters 15 and 16 call us to worship the God of wrath. Now, I don't mean that we should be happy at the idea of people suffering under punishment. What I do mean is that when we look at God's wrath, we should think, God, you are worthy because what you have done is right and good. 
title of my sermon, the main point I want us to hear today is to worship the God of wrath. In these chapters, I see three reasons why we should worship the God of wrath. First of all, worship him for his just salvation. For his just salvation. See this in chapter 15, which we just read. This chapter opens with John seeing seven angels with seven plagues. And these seven angels come out of the heavenly sanctuary, the presence of God. They're they're going out from the presence of God to do his bidding. They're they're ministers of God carrying out his will. Uh, The plagues that they have are described as the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. So what we see here is that John in chapter 15 and 16 is about to see a vision of the completion of God's judgment upon evil. As chapter 15 goes on, these seven angels are given seven golden bowls filled with God's wrath. And in chapter 16, we're going to see what it looks like for these bowls of God's wrath to be poured out. But here in chapter 15, in the middle of this scene of preparing to pour out these bowls of wrath, is a scene of worship for God's salvation. And it's no accident that salvation and judgment would be happening at the same moment. Throughout Scripture, judgment and salvation are not opposites or incompatible. Judgment and salvation are actually inseparable. In fact, Bible scholar Jim Hamilton argues that the central theme of the entire Bible is God's glory in salvation through judgment. The combination of judgment and salvation is depicted in this scene vividly, and particularly it's depicted in a scene that it echoes, and we'll uh, pay attention to that here in a moment. If you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to imagine yourself among this group by this sea in heaven. In Revelation, the the sea is often a symbol of evil. Uh, For example, in Revelation 13, the beast came out of the sea. But here, you're standing at the sea, you look and you see that this evil sea is like glass perfectly still. It's mingled with fire, which is a symbol of God's judgment on evil. And so you look and you see evil perfectly under the control of the sovereign judge. The saints in heaven in this passage are there at the sea because they've conquered uh, when we're there in heaven, we, we look and we see that all the forces of evil have been conquered under the wrath of God. And we rejoice because God has shared his victory over evil with his people who he has redeemed. On that day, Revelation 12, 11 will be true of us. That they have conquered, we will have conquered the dragon and all of his forces of evil by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. So notice that 
The song that the saints are singing at the sea is the song of Moses. It's also called the song of the Lamb. The song of Moses is the very first song ever recorded in Scripture in Exodus 15. It's the song that the Israelites sang after the Lord brought them through the Red Sea miraculously. And then they looked back and they saw him drown Pharaoh and the Egyptian army behind them. So notice this picture that's, that's, that's embedded in the minds of the people of God. It, it's a key thread through all of Scripture, this act of redemption of the Exodus going through the Red Sea. That moment is this perfect picture of God's salvation through judgment. In the same act, God saves his people through the sea and saves them by taking that sea and judging, destroying their enemies. His judgment of their enemies is his salvation of his people. And so they sing in Exodus 15 the song of Moses, celebrating salvation in light of God's wrath. And now here in Revelation 15, the song of Moses is the very last song recorded in Scripture. And this is the song, this same song is what the people of God will sing in heaven around the glassy sea when the Lord brings us to heaven and we praise Him for conquering evil and saving His people. There at the Red Sea and there at the glassy sea in heaven, God's judgment of His enemies means salvation for His people. In heaven, we will praise God's great and amazing and just and true deeds of salvation through judgment. As we're standing there, rejoicing in God, just think of all that we will have to look back on. All that God will have done to bring us to that moment in heaven. We will praise Him for saving us from the penalty of sin. By judging Jesus in our place at the cross. We will praise Him in that moment for having saved us from the power of sin. Through all the grace that He showed to us day after day after day to help us endure through the Christian life. To help us keep our faith in Jesus all the way to the end. And on that day, when we have conquered and we're standing around the glassy sea, singing the song of Moses with harps in our hand, we will celebrate because Jesus in that moment will have saved us from the very presence of sin. When God judges evil and he brings us into his presence, we will worship God for his just salvation. So today, don't let go. In light of that amazing scene of the people of God, our future in heaven, celebrating salvation, celebrating God's great and amazing deeds and all that God has done, today, cling to Jesus. It is so easy for us to forget just how great and amazing God's deeds are. We can deceive ourselves into thinking that the things of this world are 
what are great. And we can so deceive ourselves that we lose sight of that which is truly amazing. Namely, God, who he is and what he's done. We can also become so familiar with what God has done that we start to assume the gospel instead of regularly being amazed by the gospel. And so in light of this scene, may we worship God for his just salvation by reminding ourselves of his great and amazing deeds. The song of Moses was a song that wasn't just a spontaneous uh, act of praise for that one day. It was a song that was sung over and over and over and over for the people of God so they would never forget the amazing thing that God has done. So what are you doing to remind yourself of the amazing things that God has done for you in Christ? One of the things that's so important for us as we seek to remember and keep the amazement fresh in our hearts, is exactly what we're doing right now. Gathering with our brothers and sisters. We need each other. We were not meant to only ever worship alone. We were meant to worship together. We were meant to build one another up. We were meant to gather and come together and remind one another of how great and amazing God's deeds are. We, on our own, are prone to forget Even when you don't realize you've forgotten, you've forgotten. And one of the great privileges and joys of gathering together with the people of God, for myself personally, is when a brother or sister reminds me of who God is or what God has done, and I didn't even realize I needed to hear it. But I am just struck by, wow, I had forgotten how amazing God is, how amazing what he has done is. Gather with your church. Remind one another. Fill your mouth and your ears with the songs of the people of God like we see here. Uh, God has given us this gift of song to focus our minds and our hearts on the beauty of God's great and amazing deeds. Another just practical thing you can do to help uh, fan the flame of your amazement of God is to take some time and write a word of personal testimony. Write out what God did to save you, and then just look and behold how amazing God is. Write out how God has proven himself faithful time and time again throughout your life, and just look and behold God's great and amazing deeds. Remind yourself of what God has done. As we look forward to the day that we get to sing the song of Moses around the glassy sea, today worship the God of wrath for his just salvation. Second, worship the God of wrath for his just judgments. Worship the God of wrath for his just judgments. So already in chapter 15, John has seen these seven angels with seven golden bowls of wrath coming out of God's presence. Now in chapter 16, John is going to see these seven bowls poured out. In verses 1 through 9, which we're going to read here in a moment, we're going to see the first four of these bowls. And these first four are focused on God's judgment on the wicked through plagues on the natural realm. So uh, just read along with me uh, Revelation 16, 
1 through 9. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was. For you have brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. God will pour out his wrath on those who do not trust in Christ. Unbelievers here are referred to as the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Those who belong to the kingdom of this world, those who oppose God and his people, will receive God's judgment. You may have noticed uh, that there's some similarities between these bowl judgments of Revelation 16 and the trumpet judgments we saw back in Revelation 8 and 9. Uh, For instance, the first trumpet affected the earth. The first bowl affects the earth. The second uh, trumpet turned the sea into blood. The second bowl turns the sea into blood, etc. All seven have a direct correlation, the trumpets and the bowls. But there's a really important difference that we need to recognize between the two. The trumpet judgments, remember they were trumpets because trumpets warn. Uh, They were partial judgments. Uh, They affected a third of the earth, a third of the sea, a third of the rivers, and so on. Uh, The trumpets were partial because the trumpets were warning about the final judgment the final wrath to come. But these bowl judgments are not partial. These bowls are a picture of complete judgment. Like we just read in Revelation 15, verse 1, with these, the wrath of God is finished, complete, fulfilled. This is a picture of a total disassembling of creation. But in the midst of this wrath being poured out, the angel who's pouring his bowl on the waters breaks out into a declaration of praise. The angel praises God for being just. He says that God's judgments are fair. That word judgment has the idea of God's verdicts. His, his judicial decisions about what people receive in light of what they have done. 
So this angel says, God, your verdicts are fair. Well, why are these bold judgments fair? The angel says it's because the world deserves to receive God's wrath. He says the world has shed the blood of God's people and God has given them blood to drink. The punishment fits the crime. Then another voice responds to the angel's praise. A voice from the altar praises God because his judgments are true and just. What we need to see here in this heavenly example is that the God of wrath is worthy of worship for his just judgments. Not in spite of his just judgments. He is worthy of worship for his just judgments. Sometimes God's verdicts are hard for us to understand in our own finite minds. God's decisions raise questions in in our little minds. How could a loving God send someone to hell? What about the people in a remote tribe who died before hearing the gospel? Why would God let that person die before they repented and trusted in Jesus? What I want us to see in this chapter, in this scene, on the last day, after God's judgment has been fully poured out, we will not be asking questions. When all is said and done, we will see from a heavenly perspective. And we will see there is not one person in hell who shouldn't be there. There was not one decision that God made that was not perfectly true and just. On that day, we will say without hesitation, God, you were right to do everything that you did. It might be hard. It might be sobering. But it's not wrong. It's not evil. What God did was right. And you were worthy of praise because you made the right decision. This week, I came across a story told by a British pastor named Mark Maynell, who worked at a seminary in Uganda, and he became friends with a Christian man named Emma, who is a refugee. Emma and his family had lived in the Democratic Republic of the Congo under a brutal dictatorship, and Emma had witnessed, uh, who had witnessed horrible atrocities committed against his friends and family members, and they fled their country with no earthly possessions. Uh, So one night, Mark, this pastor, was talking with Emma, who had come to know the Lord, and Emma said this, you know, Mark, I could never believe the gospel if it were not for the judgment of God. Because I, I will never get justice in this world, but I couldn't cope 
if I was never going to see justice done. Mark said this about Emma's statement. We in the West often recoil from God's justice for a very simple reason. We've hardly had to suffer injustice. But most people around the globe recognize that God's justice is praiseworthy and great. May we worship the God of wrath for his just judgments. Third, worship the God of wrath for his just victory. For his just victory. As the bold judgments continue, the focus of God's wrath shifts. The first four bold judgments focus on the natural realm. The last three bold judgments focus on the kingdom of the world. Follow along as I read Revelation 16, 10 through 21. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the, day, on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold! I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done! And there are flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. You may have noticed that like the trumpet judgments before, these bold judgments look a lot like the plagues that God sent on Egypt in Exodus, boils, water into blood, darkness, frogs, hail. And like those plagues, these acts of judgments should lead people to repent of their sins. But like Pharaoh hardened his heart at the plagues, those who receive this completion of the wrath of God will not repent of their deeds. Though the wrath of God deserves to be worshipped, they will not give him glory. Instead, they curse the God of heaven. 
The sixth bowl describes the forces of evil preparing for the final battle, the battle of Armageddon. This end times battle was prophesied in Ezekiel 38 and 39, and we're going to look a lot more uh, about this battle in the next few chapters of Revelation. Uh, But the Bible describes a a final battle at the end of this age. Satan and his forces against God and his people. Our passage here describes how Satan, the dragon, will deceive and persuade the kings of all the nations of the world to assemble together against God and against his people. And what we'll see in the next few chapters of Revelation, though, is that this final battle is not going to be much of a battle. The forces of evil will assemble, but Jesus will return and single-handedly destroy them in an instant. And that final destruction is described in the seventh bowl. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, great earthquake. And we've seen these symbols twice already in Revelation at the end of the seals and at the end of the trumpets. Now we're seeing it here at the end of the bowls. Uh, And it's a mark of the end of the age, the final judgment. On that day, all the nations of the earth will fall. The prostitute Babylon will drink the cup of the wrath of God. We'll talk more about Babylon next week. But this whole old world that we live in today will be entirely destroyed. The world that we live our lives in today will be destroyed. The world that we acquire our wealth in today will be destroyed. The the world that we find our, our amusements in today will be destroyed. At the end of the final battle, the God of wrath will claim the victory. So how do we worship God for his just victory? By being prepared. Notice That as John was in the middle of describing Satan's preparation for battle, Jesus interrupts John's description and he speaks directly to us. He tells us in verse 15 that we need to be prepared for that final day. Look at verse 15 one more time. Behold, Jesus says, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake keeping his garments on that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Jesus is going to come back. And he is going to come back at a time you do not expect. Like when a thief comes, by the time he's there, it's too late to prepare. So we need to be ready before Jesus comes. Jesus says in this verse that we need to stay awake. We need to stay alert. I wonder, are you living a life of spiritual sleep? Spiritual slumber. Spiritual sleep doesn't necessarily mean living this life of unbridled evil and hatred of God. It just means living a life that's apathetic about Jesus. It means living a life for yourself. It means living as if this world and this age is all that matters. Staying awake, on the other hand, means staying faithful to Jesus, living this life for him, uh, trusting him with your life, 
as your Savior and your Lord, living this life and this age with eternity in mind. Just consider two of the first disciples that Jesus called, Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. God had sent John the Baptist to prepare the way for Jesus' first coming so that people would be prepared for Jesus to come, like Jesus is calling us to be prepared for him to come again. God used John the Baptist to help Peter and Andrew stay awake for the first coming of the Messiah. So when Jesus came to them and he said, follow me, they didn't think twice. They didn't hang on to their nets. They let it go immediately. They didn't hang on to their career. They didn't hang on to their little kingdom. They didn't hang on to their pursuits of this world. Without thinking, they were prepared to let it go. Before Jesus came to them, they were already awake and alert. They didn't decide to drop their nets the day that Jesus called them. Before Jesus came to them, they were already holding loosely the things of this world. Before Jesus came to them, they had already been carrying out their work in such a way that they were ready to drop their nets at any moment for the Messiah. So when the Messiah came, they were ready. They dropped their nets and they followed Christ. That's how alert we need to be as we walk through this world. We need to be ready before he gets here. We need to be living our lives today, holding the things of this world loosely. Hold loosely the things of this life. Be ready to drop them at any moment. Stay awake. But Jesus also says we need to be dressed. Jesus rebuked the church in Laodicea back in Revelation 3 for them having an attitude in their hearts that said, I need nothing. When in reality, Jesus saw that spiritually speaking, they were naked. Spiritually speaking, they were uncovered, shameful, on our own. All we have is shame. And we, on our own, have nothing to cover ourselves. On our own, all of our shame will be exposed. And when God looks at us, he will see sinners deserving wrath. On our own, we all deserve seven bowls of the complete wrath of God. On our own, we have nothing to protect ourselves, nothing to cover up the fact that we deserve God's just judgments for our sins on our own. We have nothing but shame and sin. But what Jesus said to the Laodiceans in Revelation 3 is that they needed to receive white garments from him as a free gift that they may cover their shame. Though we on our own have nothing to cover ourselves, though we on our own deserve nothing but the wrath of God, Jesus offers to clothe us in his righteousness. When we confess our sin and trust in him for forgiveness, he covers 
our sin. If we are in Christ, when God looks at us, he doesn't see our shame. He sees Jesus' perfection given to us as a free gift. And when he sees us in Christ, his just judgment is not guilty, innocent, righteous, not worthy of wrath because of Christ, not worthy of judgment because of Christ. His verdict is, you will be with me in paradise. So trust in this Jesus who offers you white garments that you could cover your shame with. Don't let your shame and your sin be hidden in the dark. Bring it to the light and let Christ clothe you in his forgiveness and his righteousness and his acceptance and his mercy and his grace and his love to make you worthy of eternal life. Let Jesus prepare you to share in his victory. Let Jesus clothe you so on that day of the final battle, you're standing with the King of Kings. In so doing, worship the God of wrath for his just victory. We serve an amazing God. We serve a God who is worthy of worship for all that he is, even his wrath. It's through his wrath that he brings salvation to his people. His wrath is poured out based on his perfectly just judgments. And he pours out his wrath to bring about his ultimate victory. So the next time you think about the wrath of God, my prayer is that you would not apologize, that you would not recoil, but that with reverence and awe, you would worship. Let's pray. Father, you are holy, you are just, and you are good. Lord, it is hard for us to think about your wrath because we know on our own we deserve it. We know people around us deserve it. But Lord, though it is uncomfortable, your wrath is right. Your judgments are true. You are holy. You alone are holy. So Lord, we worship you because you are just and righteous. You never make a bad decision. Lord, we trust you, even when we don't understand your decisions. And Lord, we trust that you protect from your wrath justly all who trust in Christ. So Lord, I pray for every single one of us in this room that your word to us through Revelation 15 and 16 would drive us to 
trust in Christ. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. Pray for those who don't know you, that in every heart that has just heard your word spoken to them, Lord, that they would be prompted to greater trust in you, to further rest in the gospel, further rest in your grace, further trust in your covering to clothe them of their shame, to forgive them of the sins that deserve wrath. Lord, that you would prompt us to faithfulness in life and light of eternity. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and worship this God together.